distinct drama, fresh and original. As well as bringing you great interviews and reunions with the people behind some of our favourite TV programmes and films of the past, every now and then on Distinct Nostalgia, we like to bring you original drama and comedy. And so especially for Christmas, we're delighted to bring you an exclusive comedy drama trilogy by the highly talented Carl Chetty, with a star-studded cast over three parts. Soft Centres, Hard Centres and Dark Centres. Beginning with Soft Centres, starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and Joanna Lumley as Millicent. soon for their chocolate hearts and cupids. When I think of how I've wasted my life here, placing handmade soft centres and nut clusters into poncy dwarf coffins is hardly an achievement. And where has it got me? I'm going nowhere fast. I put the bosses where they are today. I played an integral part in the creation of this shop. They could never have done it without my help. But I'm not appreciated. Certainly no sign of a rise on the horizon. (laughs) Never in your life. It's like trying to make coffee with a tea bag. No, in fact, the last time I received a so-called rise for my services was in 1976. The year of the hosepipe ban. 15th of May, to be exact. I remember it well. The wife and I had been married ten years, so how could I possibly forget the 15th of May, the date I put my head in the guillotine? But as an anniversary present that year, and with the extra money, I bought Ivy a set of clothes pegs, assorted colours. Oh, she was happy as Larry. No more splinters, she said. She didn't into diamonds or fur coats or a trip on the Orient Express. Well, Ivy knows I don't go splashing hard-earned money around. It takes me long enough to earn a crust. It's scandalous. Scandalous. Sixty-odd years on the earth and I still have to graft all hours to make ends meet. Unlike her downstairs, of course, old Millicent Mudd, She's just past retirement and gets the lion's share from this firm for doing next to nothing. Good Lord, when I think about it, I could yell louder than bloody Tarzan. She doesn't have to work. Got a driver's licence last year. So now she arrives in a brand new Mini straight out of the box. I don't know how she does it. (laughs) Fiddle here, fiddle there, I suspect. And to think, she started at the bottom, a part-time cleaner, who crawled her way up to the position of supervisor. How did she end up being the highest paid? I could have forty fits when I think of her down below, 
doing sweet Fanny Adams for a huge, juicy wage packet. And she'll get a massive golden handshake when she hangs up her overall. That's a dead cert. Down in the dungeon, she calls it. My cave. All that's missing is the stalactites. Oh, believe me, she loves every minute of it down there. Completely in her element. In the basement, on her tod. Stuff in her bag, I, I mean hold all, with truffles and Turkish delight. She's in charge of mail order, so she doesn't have to serve as many customers as me. Makes my blood boil. Oh, yes. Home away from home it is for madam in her cushy cocoon. There's a large rubber plant in a jardiniere, which she polishes profusely because it was a present for her son. Her domain is festooned with photos of him taken at his graduation. Yeah, I wonder where his brains came from. And you should see the back kitchen. Oh, all mod cons, satellite TV, DVD player, microwave. All that's missing is the cuddly toy. And she's turned the basement into a bird sanctuary. Two canaries in cages. And the management turns a blind eye. Once a pigeon flew into our Easter window display. Mr. Hamilton went berserk. He just had an enormous Easter egg flown in. Money, no object. Typically, Millicent interfered, using the skills she'd acquired from watching Bert Lancaster in Birdman of Alcatraz. Somehow, Bird Woman managed to coax out the pigeon, saving the day and the egg. The Hamiltons were all over her, like eczema. And she basked in the praise and accepted their thank-you bottle of champagne like it was an Oscar. Millicent and I have worked together at each other's throats for a hell of a long time now, and I still can't work that woman out. She's a conundrum. What drives me livid is the way she runs the bosses down to the gutter one minute, really slagging them off. And the next minute she's sucking up to them. The traitorous. There's a nice piece of Battenberg for you, Mr. Hamilton. Oh, cancel your colonic irrigation this week, Mrs. Hamilton. You can use my tongue. Lick, 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 suck, suck, suck. Oh, she's so two-faced and bossy. Oh, Frankie, will you go and get so-and-so? Bleach like bulbs, liver salts, fags... By God, she's an Olympic smoker. Filthy habit, I tell her. She'll get the big C. But she says she couldn't give a damn. It's a dreadful addiction. She once went overboard when Christian, one of the youths working here, stuck up a load of no-smoking signs and posters on National No-Smoking Day. Oh, she gave the poor lad a good rollicking and puffed away like the brazen as she is. Oh, lungs like loofers. But she doesn't care about her health. Or anybody else's. No, sirree. She'll find out the hard way. When she wakes up to the world one morning, coughing and spluttering like chitty-chitty-bang-bang before she's even found her dressing gown and slippers. Do you know what? 
I wouldn't even donate a penny towards her wreath. We'll be back after a quick break. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, all right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying, yeah. I'm, trying, oh, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm, trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like, bro. Me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know. We play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right with this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Frankie. I'm tired of this, have you? Always pretending he can't hear. Frankie! Well, maybe he's having 40 winks again. Oh, Frankie's well past this game. He's been here for 30 odd years. He'll be carried out in a box. <laughs> it's probably a gold chockey box with red bows and ribbons. He's ill. I reckon he'll collapse behind that counter one day. You mark my words, I'm always right. I can see into the future. You don't need no crystal balls to know he's living on borrowed time. I know I must sound like a cruel cow, but he's more likely to expire on the job than at home. And how would that look for business? He's constantly popping pills. Vitamin pills, that is. Shakes them about like maracas. The old dog's convinced there's a few more years left in him. It's all that cranky health foods he's into. Raw jelly supplements, honey with pollen, organic this, organic that. I said to Frankie, I said, here, Methuselah, are you planning on living forever in a day? Clean living's the secret of a long life, he says smugly. He wants to outlive his blooming tortoise, so he's starting to resemble... Health food's the only thing old Frankie spends his cash on. Oh, God, he's tight-fisted. I mean, I know he's got heaps of dough in the bank and building society, and he lives in that house of his free of charge. So I don't care what anybody says, he don't need to be up on that counter. It's ridiculous. A sick man trying to hold the fort up there at peak times, getting in a right tizzy. He should quit while he's ahead. And he's doing a youngster out of a job. No wonder the doll queue stretching from here to eternity with workers like good old Frankie super glued to the floor. He thinks he's mega fit. He couldn't run for a bus without getting a coronary. I thought we'd seen the back of him after his 60th birthday. It was quite an event. All the staff organised a collection and we bought him a pewter tankard. We had it engraved, special. With the remainder of the collection money, we was able to buy a Sara Lee Black Forest Gatto and some vino. 
We thought six candles would be wise. I mean, we didn't want to risk setting off the fire alarm. Mr Hamilton made a speech that was longer than one of Dickie Attenborough's at the Bleeding BAFTA Awards and at the end of the sermon I woke up and heard him saying something wet like Frankie, you are free to continue your employment here till doomsday if you wish. I needed a basin. I felt like blowing chunks. Frankie's no great asset. He can't exactly be described as indispensable. He does a four-day week. The hours make me die. Half nine till half four. School kid hours, I call it. He swans off for his elevensies and you don't see him for an hour. When the clock strikes half four, he's off. See you tomorrow, Millie. I often wonder whether he'll make it through the night. Well, I, I know I've slowed down too, but he's so absent-minded. Only last Friday, a customer inquired about diabetic chocolate. And while I was dusting the busts of the Hamilton dynasty at the bottom of the stairs, I heard Frankie say, Boulders Brass, go down to the chemist's, madam, and you'll find stacks of it. And yet our shelves are full of it. Just like him. Full of it. Sometimes I have to drop everything, dash upstairs and set the record straight. King of the cock-ups. That's him. That was Mr Farley, the jogger. He's been coming in here for years. Yeah, Millicent liked serving Mr Farley when she was a youngster. Or, should I say, a reasonably young female. Since I've known her for thousands of years, I can just about recall her as a young damsel. Bill of the ball, she thought she was. Her skirts were higher than her IQ. Knickers on show to the entire planet, like a call girl. She looked like a character in a Beryl Cook painting. Well, nowadays, she's worse. A caricature who knows exactly how to put me off my food. She once said when holidaying abroad, she liked driving around topless. Want to see a photograph, Frankie? She grinned. What a grotesque image it conjured up, the poor locals of Majorca. It was only when she showed me a snapshot of herself with her son in a convertible that the colour came back to me cheeks. Oh, sometimes she can be so vile and vulgar. She doesn't seem to care about the coarse remarks she comes out with in front of me, juniors, staff, customers and the bosses. Now, she's always been crude, even as a young girl. Oh! But when she went through the change, oh, we all went through it with her. She described everything to us in graphic detail. It was like a biology lesson. Listening to her harping on about soaking wet sheets stuck to her erogenous zones. After being subjected to such an unsavoury topic, I could often only peck at my sandwich. Oh, I need to sit down. Oh, 
This stool has seen better days. Typical. I get a woodworm-ridden spike to sit on. She gets a wicker chair with lavender cushions. All I had for breakfast this morning was some boiling hot mineral water to clear out the system and a cod liver oil capsule. Oh, I've just noticed that vagrant of hers. Sneaking in through the fire escape. The Hamiltons would have kittens if they twigged. He looks like Wurzel Gummidge's older brother. I wish she wouldn't encourage him. His foul odour lingers on for days. I told her to knock Charlie on the head. Well, metaphorically speaking, of course. I'm just being charitable, she said, filling his thermos to the brim with homemade minestrone. And croutons. Why? I said. He's vermin. There's more life in that beard of his than in a safari park. He's unhygienic. We're all God's creatures, she said. Besides, it reminds me of Daddy. Millicent was fairly attractive when she was young, not unlike Diana Dawes. Well, from a distance if you squinted and were drugged. I used to notice men responding to her pins. Oh, you should see them now. Oh, riddled with blotches and varicose veins. More lines on those legs than on a map of the underground. She'd like to have a facelift. I'm just putting on me war paint, she says, brandishing a chisel-like implement. Gives trench warfare a whole new meaning with all those crevices to fill in. Caked on the makeup is. Yeah! <laughs> Little early for Halloween, isn't it, Millicent? <laughs> I say, as she emerges from the ladies, feeling a million dollars and looking tuppence. There's no doubt about it, she has film star looks. Horror film, that is. She makes Mrs Doubtfire and E.T. look like Oil of Olay models. Millicent never minces her words. When we chat, or rather when she moans and groans and I listen, she has an expletive for every letter of the alphabet. She believes using colourful language conveys her point more clearly. You'd rather be Millicent's friend than her enemy, in my experience. Because when she has it in for you, oh, she's a serpent. She's driven a whole cargo of staff away with her acid tongue. No wonder we're always short-handed. And I end up doing all the donkey work. Millicent's hubby left her. He's the one that got away. She'd probably have killed him off with her venom. Can you imagine being saddled with that Venus flytrap? My missus is bad enough, but Millicent would be unbearable. It's certainly no picnic working in the same building as her. All I do is thank my lucky stars. She's down there in her territory and I'm in mine. Safe from all the poison and oral abuse dished out. Miraculously, we get on amiably when we do collide. But, oh, how I'd love to see the back of her. 
I must make peace with her. Especially now. Now that I'm leaving. Only my second one today. Second packet, that is. <laughs> I've mislaid my Nicorette patch again. Hope it ain't fallen into old Mr Ramsbottom's regular order of violet creams. <sighs> oh, look, I ain't one for euthanasia, but Mr Frankie is pushing his luck. I have to watch him like a hawk. Basically, Mr and Mrs H have gone soft in the air. They should let him go. They should dismiss him. I'm not being a hard mare, but it takes him an hour to deal with one customer. I can serve six by the time he's finished jabbering on about his hernia operation, his ulcers, athlete's foot, the advantages of homeopathy. I must say, I'm surprised there's such a big following. The Frankie Finch Fan Club. These women customers won't come within two mile radius of these premises unless he's cemented to the flooring like a monument. The Golden Girls ring up first to make sure he's in. They don't spend nothing, of course, only after a chinwag with their perfect gentleman. Elderly groupies after their sex symbol. <sighs> sex symbol? <laughs> Blimey! George Clooney, he ain't. He's tidy, granted. Always neat. Everything... Pristine, you know, the whole ensemble. Blazer decorated with medals he'd earned from the local charity shop. <laughs> Crisp white collar slicing through his red neck like a Stanley knife. I bought him a shirt several Christmases ago. He's never worn it. Thought it was too gaudy. Looks like one of those magic eye puzzles, he says ungratefully. He's very pink for a girl, blue for a boy. Nicholas, my beautiful son, visits me here occasionally. But Frankie hates Nick because he's gay and flamboyant with it. Treats him like a leper, makes him as welcome as nits. You see, Frankie's from the old school and thinks if Nick breathes on him, he'll change sexuality. One day I discovered just how homophobic he was. I overheard him laughing, telling Bill the window cleaner that my lad was as bent as a corkscrew. I went ballistic. I swore at him. I cursed him. I said some hurtful things that I regretted. And I suppose that should have made us evens. We should have called it quits. But we never spoke for a month. All this happened while the Hamiltons were sunning themselves in the south of France. The atmosphere was frosty. I dreaded coming to work. Neither of us prepared to break the silence. We're like two sides of the same coin, really. When the Hamiltons returned, they picked up the bad vibrations and Frankie and me were summoned to the office. Mrs Hamilton said she had to nip out to the beauty salon and left the three of us to have a round-table conference. Now, Normally, at a point like this, I would have made a quip like, we'll see her in another month then. But I knew it weren't a time for joking, 
because Mr. H was frowning. He was angry with us and in pain because instead of being a gorgeous bronze from his vacation, he was scarlet, peeling like a snake. Instantly, in a no-nonsense fashion, he made the two of us shake hands, just like we was bloody back at school. Reluctantly, we did. What next, I thought? Big hug like the flipping Teletubbies? Monica had to photograph the Teletubbies once for some magazine. Oh, I'm so proud of Nick. You know, brilliant photographer. You should see his portfolio. But I've always said he should be in front of the camera, not behind it. Nick will look forever young and unblemished because he has my genes and chromosomes. It's hard to believe, but Frankie and me do lunch together in the restroom. Well, the older ones go to dinner at a different time to the young ones. It's more or less the same ritual every time. Sneakily, he opens his locker, trying to hide the yellowing, semi-pornographic picture inside. Linda Lusardi, when she was at her peak. Out comes the briefcase. Briefcase? Why does he need a briefcase in this gaff? Pretending to the neighbours that he's off to the office. Ooh, proper little Reggie Perrin. All he needs is a bowler hat and a copy of the Financial Times. Oh, but oh no, he wouldn't read that, because it's pink. Out pops his little lunchbox, no pun intended, cheese and pickle sandwiches, and a black banana. His daily diet since time began. He hardly makes a sound swallowing his brown bread, peels his nana like a well-behaved chimpanzee. I sit opposite him with my usual Italian feast from the delicatessen next door but one. Luigi gives me free grub and I smuggle in boxes of broken chocks. You scratch my back, Luigi. I'll scratch yours. A year before my divorce, I went out with Mr Luigi Tommaso. My awesome fling, I called it. I got nothing out of it, apart from a rash. That purple ointment Dr Buckhurst prescribed worked wonders, though. Oh, that temper, temper! You'll be fed in a minute, darlings. Luigi and me never discuss our little whirlwind romance. It's like our taboo. Our five-minute skirmish remains sacred and private. But every time I visit the deli, his portions get larger. I come straight back here and share me banquet with the staff. Have some, Frankie, I say. Oh, I can't manage. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach, greedy guts, he says ever so charmingly. You won't catch me eating that foreign muck. He takes off his glasses to give his eyeballs a rub. You don't half look a right old bod minus his bifocals. Reminds me of Donald Duck. You know... I'm sure we used to get on better before we worked together. That'll shock her. Her wish will come true. Me out. She always gets her own way, like a spoiled brat. Well, nearly always. 
Miss Millicent landed herself in the club when she was a teenager. It was the swinging sixties and she wasn't ready for the responsibility of a little one. 1969. The year man walked on the moon. We had quite a scene in the kitchen downstairs the day she announced it. She, she held onto the little gold crucifix around her neck as if it were an emotional life jacket. I can't afford to keep it, she said. I'm going to have to get rid of it. Well, it's murder, I protested, and you brought up a Catholic. This is my life, she bellowed louder than Shirley Bassey. I'm not ready for the baby. I knew she needed my support. With both parents in Australia and not exactly an army of friends around her, there was no one else to turn to. She plonked a cup of tea in front of me like some kind of peace offering. I took a sip and swiftly spat it out. I don't take sugar anymore, I found myself saying automatically. Only saccharin. I'll make your own tea in future, she shrieked, turning cerise. Her voice was husky, like someone in need of a throat lozenge. I've had enough of working with you. She tore off her apron, causing a bracelet to fly across the room, glass beads rolling along the floor like marbles. She took a bag out of her locker and stormed out, dragging her coat behind her like some stone-faced model on the catwalk. Her pace quickened as I chased her up the spiral staircase. When she walked out of the shop into the busy wet street, I was worried she'd do something irrational, and I'd end up the scapegoat. In moments she was lost in the mosaic of the crowd, and I strolled back behind the counter, drained. A small posse of agitated customers were waiting for me, including Mrs White, who pushed some stale pralines under my nose, demanding a refund. I was surprised to see Millicent returning an hour later, drenched. She tried to slip in unnoticed, rushing downstairs. Then there was an ominous thud, followed by a piercing, penetrating scream. I abandoned Lady Castle and her usual order of wafer-thin after-dinner mince and stood at the top of the winding staircase, afraid of what I might find. Millicent had hurt her back and grazed her wrist on the sharp steel of the handrail. As globules of blood oozed out of her hand, I said, Don't move! I can't, stupid! she cried, clutching her spine. And I guessed, from the bloodstained mother care catalogue and carrier bag she was holding, that she must have had second thoughts about the abortion. When the ambulance came and she flirted with the young paramedics, I thought, Oh, she's back to her normal self. Later I learned she'd had a miscarriage. Amazing how fast they discharge you from hospital after something so devastating happens. Back to the grindstone, in a flash she was, like it was only toothache. You got what you wanted, really, I said to her back in the kitchen. The scene of our crimes, if you like. I didn't mean it to slip out so bluntly. I'm not made of granite. I do possess a heart. I wondered whether she'd lost a boy or a girl. You're as sensitive as a road drill, she screeched as she slapped me across the face and whipped. You changed my mind, she squeaked. 
I wanted to keep it because of what you said. She pulled out of her bag a pure white matame coat, so tiny it would have fitted a Cindy doll. I couldn't resist it, she said. I bought it that day. Look, the price tag is still on it, £1.17 and six. She buried her damp red eyes in the baby's garment. I wanted to throw my arms around her to comfort her. But I just couldn't because there was still a barrier between us, like the Berlin Wall. Instead, I made a quick getaway. We never discussed her sad loss again. But even all these years later, when mothers come in armed with sticky kiddies, I stop them from going downstairs. Oh, she'll miss me when I'm gone. You don't know what you've got till you've lost it. I don't like talking about my miscarriage. I blotted out of my mind like a rape victim does. I sort of matured overnight. Which is more than I can say about the father of the baby, my partner then. Young Robert Bolster. He's a science student. Students never really grow up, do they? We actually met here when he'd done a Saturday job during the summer holidays. Poles apart we was. But they say opposites attract. Frankie never had a good word to say about him, always likening his acne to a pebble-dash wall. We broke up as soon as I got the news. Robert couldn't handle the pressure. He went back to his test tubes and his Bunsen burners, ended up in a lab somewhere up north. He's probably one of them mad scientists now, doing his Jekyll and Hyde experiments, bless him. Frankie, and many others, jumped to the wrong conclusions about me and my morals. Believe it or not, I've only had two partners and one silly affair, but because I wear clothes that show off my figure and lashings of war paint and dye my hair, people get the wrong impression. Rumours spread, mud sticks. People start to think there's no smoke without fire. Before you know it, you're down to some sort of femme fatale. Oh... <laughs> A flirt, yeah, helps me get through the day. But don't judge a book by the cover, me old granny used to say, and she was right. Frankie's criticised me for wearing my marzipan mask, but he never knew what I was covering up. What I'm still covering up. You can't keep secrets forever. I was hiding a scar given to me by John, my ex, one night. He'd had too much of the hard stuff and thought I was cheating on him. I was actually shielding my neighbour and best friend Marty. I was her alibi. Again. She's always been of a friendly disposition. She once chatted up old Frankie when he was younger than springtime. <laughs> Men like him are born old. Having said that, they hit it off. Unusual, Frankie actually liking someone. But everyone loves Marty, 
and Marty loves everyone. When I spotted them organising a trip to the Odeon, I rushed over to break things up. You should go up with an optician, Marty, I said. You need a year's supply of eyewash. <laughs> anyway, between us we'd concocted some cock and bull story to keep her old man happy. Rehearsing it was hilarious. Word perfect we was. Things came to a head when John answered the blower to a distraught Marty. My fella's on his way over. Don't let on. Her hubby didn't arrive, but John, in his drunken stupor, got confused. He got the wrong end of the stick and thought Marty was covering for little old me. He attacked me with a bottle opener. A bit of face graffiti that was to stay with me for life. I married John six months after finishing with Robert on the rebound. A clean-cut policeman. Mum always said, don't fall for a man in uniform. But I met him down the local swimming baths, out of uniform, strutting his stuff. And so was I, proper little Esther Williams I used to be. <laughs> now I'd need a lifeguard to help me out of the foot spa. <laughs> this copper, so full of sparkle to begin with, turned out to be a very strict husband. A bully with a capital B. He once heard me reciting a dodgy limerick to the plumber and I was practically accused of adultery. You get the picture. John was very sorry about the tattoo he'd left on my cheek and cut down on the booze soon after Nick was born. But that didn't last long, of course. My boy was the only good thing to come out of that marriage. Pity there was no such thing as anger management in them days. I always felt John was spying on me. <laughs> Frankie was the only bloke John could never accuse me of having an affair with. Master Sibley. I knew his father. I knew his grandfather. I'm tired. Oh, yeah, sometimes I get these dizzy spells. It's funny twinges, sweats, aches. Shivers, the queasiness, stomach churning. Oh, listen to yourself, Frank. You sound like a spokesman by Hypochondriacs Anonymous. <laughs> yes, I think I'll hand in my notice after Christmas. One more year here, they'll be sorry to see me go. <laughs> oh, oh, got on my chest. Oh, it's tight. I, uh, I need air. I can't stand the pain. I'm dying. I see a pale girl. Pale girl with plaits. It's Millicent. I hold out my hand. She's not there. 
I'm heading. It's a tunnel, a kaleidoscope of colours. Oh, oh, oh! What's happening? Help! Help! Millie! Millie! Yeah, Frankie. Frankie. The nurses won't like me sitting on your bed all night. Frankie. It's typical of you to end up in hospital on Valentine's. You don't have to take Ivy out. Oh, I don't know why I'm crying. Hmm. I'll let him sleep. Poor soul's been through the mill. You know how creased Lady Di's wedding dress looked? Well, that's how he looks, all screwed up. I wouldn't like to say I was right, that one day his poor elf would catch up with him and he'd keel over on the job. But when he cried out for me, for my help, years of bickering just went out the window... His face was grey-green, his whole body just lifeless, like he'd had all the stuffing knocked out of him. It reminded me of the guy we made together one bonfire night. <laughs> oh, I love the vagabond. When you spend a lifetime with someone, they grow on you, like mould. <laughs> Do you hear me? Frankie Finch? Hey. You can't escape me that easily. I reckon we'll end up in the same care home, fighting over the commode. <laughs> oh. He's had a blood transfusion. Trust him to be so bloody awkward and have the rarest known blood group, AB positive. Oh, I was lucky the nephew E. Eights came to the rescue. My boy Nicholas, that is. I gave Nicky a call because I knew they shared the same blood type. Hope they can get on after this. Especially now they have the same blood running through their veins. Frankie's never really forgiven me for raining on his parade. He enjoyed his years of being an only child. Our mum and dad idolised him. Till I came on the scene. Then it was me, me, me. And he was frozen out. He was forgotten, alienated, exiled. Favouritism for the daughter. Oh, I knew, of course. I relished it. I lapped it up. I love being the centre of attention. I still do. They always wanted a little girl. Old photo albums are full of pictures of him in frilly clothes. And although the photos are sepia, I know full well them rig-outs was rose pink. 
He was turfed out of his comfy womb with a view in favour of me. He was banished to the attic room. Compared it to a prison cell he did. Sent me to Coventry regularly. Well, this feud has followed us through life. He feels he always gets the raw deal and my existence is a permanent bed of roses. Envy and resentment, they eats away at him year in, year out, like a cancer. <sighs> Let's hope we've finally found the cure. Brother dear will have to retire now. And I ain't going back neither. <laughs> well, I can't work without him. Can I? You've been listening to Soft Centres by Carl Chetty. Frankie was played by Sir Derek Jacobi and Millicent by Joanna Lumley. Soft Centres was a Carl Chetty production. And listen out for the next in the trilogy, Hard Centres, coming over the next few days to Distinct Nostalgia. This programme was a Distinct Drama presentation.